podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. We are, and we're talking about the first ranking event winner of the season, aren't we? Because a Championship League winner has been crowned. Very much so, Phil. And it's one of the newcomers, one (laughs) one of the up-and-comers. We don't know too much about them, but it's good to see them recall a tournament win. Of course, flippant for me from the word go, not at all. It's one of the snooker's evergreen favourites, a true superstar this game. Sean Murphy, who beat Mark Williams. So it was, well, two superstars, wasn't it, in the final? All those players, Phil, all those weeks. And then we end up with a a really stellar final like that. Uh, Murphy beat Williams 3-0. To continue what is a brilliant year for him, it has to be said, this is is golden stuff. When we were saying it back in the spring, he obviously wasn't so hot at the crucible, but he's come back for this new season, firing again. And a 12th ranking event success. Now, going through the, the latest top 10, it's, gonna, it's starting to make a difference, you know. And from the off, I'll say what I said before. I know we are kind of obsessed with that. Very, opin- very much opinion thing anyway, and not exactly based on fact, which is who's underachieved, who's overachieved. For a long, long time, the common thought was Sean's definitely underachieved. I think he's putting that to bed, you know. I mean, this is, this is the 12th ranking event now. He has obviously won all the Triple Crown events, world champion many years ago, as we know now, early in his career, four world finals. And you know what? There's a lot more to come. I know you've spoken to him. He said that, you know, up to a dozen ranking events now. It's happened quickly. He's gone from nine to 12. So it's made a real difference in, in terms of the history books. And you have to say, he's just looking brilliant, Phil. He'll hope it continues all these stars do when they hit evergreen uh, form. It's just great to watch. And he was just a thoroughly good winner of that tournament. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's remarkable how how long this form bubble is sort of expanding more and more. You know, go back to January in the World Grand Prix, got to the semis. Um, Then he lost to Rob Milkins in the final of Wales. That was uh, middle of February. And since then, he's he's been to, uh, he's won three ranking events. The last uh, three of the last four he's played in, so that's four of the last five he's been to the final of. The only blip is the World Championship, which, you know, is a pretty disappointing blip to have, I have to say. But I put that, I did ask him that if that is sort of extra annoying that that's where the dip in form came. But he didn't really see it as that. It was just a bad result. He, he played pretty well in that game against C. Jacqui. And he said that it just sort of shows how well C played in that game that clearly has, he was in good form because he's continued it on from prior to the Crucible. So, yeah, it's remarkable stuff. And uh, uh, he also said when I spoke to him that he's uh, well old enough now to realise that these things don't last forever. So he's not expecting, expecting to win every tournament he plays in for the rest of the season, but he's just going to enjoy it while it lasts. And and so are we, because he's, uh, he's amazing to watch when he's playing well. He's wonderful to watch, very much so. Um, one of the very best players to watch in the game, quite clearly. And, yeah, I saw he... He used a phrase or something, well done, young man, or hats off, young man, or something <laughs> in, that, in that piece you did with him. And I, I thought, yeah, you know, it does put a new co- complexion again, in a way, on, on what C did. Because let's face it, we all half fancied Sean to do well at that World Championship, didn't we, with the form he was in? We'd taken into account that thing, of course, about doing well in tournaments before, which I, you know, is another 
sort of nuance again, Phil. Not a word I like using too often, as you know. <laughs> I, I like to occasionally chuck it in there. Again, I'm not always sure about... Uh, we saw it in golf, actually, a bit of a tangent. Rory McIlroy won the Scottish Open. And it, it, there is precedent for winning a tournament before a major and then a major. But it's quite unusual, really. It's not seen as the ideal thing to do. So maybe there was that element. But listen, we didn't expect him to go out round one. But again, this just shows how well C played in that in that uh, particular match in Sheffield. But Sean, yeah, he's just... I mean, he sort of breezed through this tournament, really. He never looked in real trouble. He was just looked, you know, very authoritative in his matches. He's got that sort of buzz around the table, that sort of... Uh, supreme confidence he has and you can just see it so visibly in him and well let's just say then that in the final it was a tight old affair the first frame then after that it was Murphy with a break of 73 in frame two and 69 in, in frame three so a really good winner yeah a little bit longer to maybe to to wait and prepare for that final but nevertheless listen best of five when you've got uh, players of that quality again we don't quite we always say the best of sevens aren't the lottery but Best of five is clearly nearer to a lottery, isn't it, Phil? I think it's fair to say. And I, and I think, unfortunately, I've got Phil Haig freezing on me. That, that is not a sight I wanted to see, especially this early in the episode. Phil, I can see you've gone static. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk uh, among among myself, as it were. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm going to natter away and I hope you come back. Phil's now gone completely, so I'm hoping he's going to come back. These things happen. Gremlins. Let's blame the rain. The rain has been nonstop. I don't know if you're in the UK. I know many of you will be. Some of you might have very different weather, of course, and we're very aware there's been heat wave weather in other parts of Europe, other parts of the world. But here in the UK, it's uh, well, it's been nonstop rain in recent days. So um, who knows? Who knows what's got into the Gremlins uh, this evening, this Monday evening, as, as, as we're talking here, but. Phil will no doubt return soon. And in the meantime, what I'll do is take you through that list of ranking event winners, shall I? And kick off with Ronnie O'Sullivan at the top with 39, then Stephen Hendry, 36, John Higgins, 31, Steve Davis, 28, Mark Williams, 24, Neil Robertson, 23, Judd Trump, 23. Mark Selby, 22. Ding Junhui, 14. And Sean Murphy, 12. So it's making all the difference. Phil, welcome back. I don't know what happened there. I'm blaming the rain. We, we, we Brits, we blame the rain for everything, don't we? Let's be honest. But uh, it's good to have you back. I'll just put out the basic top 10 there. And just, it makes all the difference. Murphy getting that little bit nearer ding as well. Frankly, the way their two careers are at the moment, you might fancy it's not long before Murphy gets up to ding. Yeah, absolutely. It's close stuff there. And uh, and then there's a bit of a gap after that, isn't it? But, yeah, the way he's playing, he can start racking him up. And, uh, yeah, as you say, top 10 of all time. And it, it's it's an amazing thing. Um, that was another thing I asked him when I was on the phone. Uh, just if they, he had a target. He said the only target he ever had was double figures. So he's there already. Everything's a bonus from now on. Um, but most people ahead of him, um, apart from, you know, Davis and Hendry, um, they're still going. So it's quite hard target if you want to catch these guys because they're they're not finished yet either so uh probably wise not to set a, a target on the on the all-time list but yeah it's amazing stuff to get to 12 and uh you wouldn't rule out a few more 
No, you certainly wouldn't. And uh, he's going great guns at the moment. He really is. And we must say congratulations to him and to Mark Williams for reaching the final. Mm. Of course, you know, that was, you know, he looked, you know, he just looked beautiful. I'm going to say that. Not, you know, maybe not, maybe not a, a word you'd, you'd, you'd associate with, with, with some of Mark's uh, antics in life, but his, <laughs> his snooker feel is, is as, is as glorious as ever. I mean, I just one night, I just, you know, just watched and just thought, I know we sort of say that almost, you know, it becomes so much of a cliche to make the most of them that I think we, we it's drummed into us now. We are making the most of them, but, but it's one of those where you just watch him, you think, God, he, he just, he makes this most complex and difficult of, of games look bewilderingly easy at times. He looks like he can't miss. He was in that sort of mood. So it was, it was, it was great to watch both of them. So hats off and obviously particularly to Sean, the winner. Let's maybe go through the final week, shall we, Phil? And, uh, uh, start again where we left off last time, stage two then, and um, starting off with last Monday when it was Chris Wakelin and Mark Williams topping their groups. Wakelin with seven points, one more than Kyron Wilson. They actually sealed the group with a 3-1 win over Wilson in their last match. Williams, that's serene progress, three matches out of three. Uh, one, he finished with nine points, five points ahead of Robbie Williams and Martin O'Donnell. On to last Tuesday then, Nopon Sankam and Robert Milkins topping their groups. Nopon finishing with seven points, three more than Hong Yu Liu. And Milkins, well, top of a very tight group there. Milkins, five points. C. Dwayhee, four points. John Astley, four points. Pan Jung Su, two points. And Milkins sealing that top spot with a 2-2 draw against Pang in the final match in the group. So Mark Williams continuing at that stage to look tremendous, Phil. The other groups are rather tighter, especially that Milkins one. He really had to battle to finish top of the pile there, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I watched quite a lot of that. Um, and it, he, he was a little bit lucky because, well, no, he wasn't because he played Pang afterwards, and it's that draw. I mean, C could have topped that, but he sort of suffered a bit of a shock loss to John Astley. So it made the group very tight. You know, Pang, I mean, I've got such an uh, admiration of Pang. I think he's brilliant. I sort of thought he might be the one to to come through that group. So to finish bottom was quite a surprise, but it's great stuff by Rob Milkins talking about Sean Murphy continuing the fine form from last season. Uh, it's great to see Rob continuing to do well. And he actually, I don't think he got beat in the whole tournament. He went through three groups without losing a match. Yeah. Um, so despite not coming away with a trophy, you've got to feel pretty good about that. I think um, he wasn't the only one. I think Sam Craigie did that as well. He, get, he got to three group stages and didn't get, get beaten, which, uh, yeah, it's impressive stuff. So, uh, yeah, scraped through Milkins. It, it was his first group. We had all those miscues. Just kept miscuing all the time. Um, he didn't really know what was going on, but he still managed to top the group. So, um, yeah, that little bit of extra confidence he's picked up over the last year or so, um, you can really tell it in his game now because I don't think he'd have been coming through groups as difficult as that with C and Pang in, um, you know, in the not too distant past. Um, so, yeah, great to see him doing well. And yeah, in that stage, Williams looked brilliant. He, he got through that second group without dropping a frame, which uh, takes some doing. Yeah, no, he was just looking marvellous. Yeah, and just as a sort of snooker observer and, and, and a snooker journalist, yeah, I think, I, I know I am and I can't be alone, I, I'm really starting to look at Milkins in a different sort of way the last year or two. He, he's so much more threatening, isn't he? he? He's so much more of a domineering sort of character in the sport. Um, and, 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 and as a presence, you just think, yeah, he could go. He could go a long way here. He's just—he's got something about him in the last year or two that's just brilliant to see. And again, this is a sort of pattern we've seen 
isn't it? With a lot of sort of stars of a of a certain age, they're really making hay late on in their career, and it you know it's 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 a lovely thing to see actually. Well, on to Wednesday then. Sean Murphy and Xiao Gudong finishing top of their respective groups. We talked about that Murphy group, how much we we're looking forward to it. Well, he finished with seven points, two ahead of David Gilbert. Uh, Tep Trier Unnu with two points and James Cahill with one in that group. The other one was pure drama, wasn't it, Phil? Xiao Gudong and Michael Holt both ending up with five points, both ending up with seven frames won and four lost. But Xiao going through on account of making the highest break. We thought when Holt beat Ben Wollaston 3-0, he looked a good favourite to go through. But I think I'm right in saying that a 3-0 win either way would have denied him in the last one. Well, it went 3-0 to Zhao. And I watched that, that, that match, actually. On the old, I think that was on the YouTube table, Phil. Mm. I was saying on social media, you know, I, I became very loyal to the YouTube table. I was joking, you know, if I saw the Viaplay table on the street, I think I'd have blanked it. And I don't, <laughs> and I don't blank anybody, to be honest. But it got to that stage. But I have to say, Shao Yulong was pretty awful in that match. Goodness, he missed so many balls. And it was that sod's law. I can almost hear the commentator say this. When you don't play well, the luck goes against you as well. A couple of times he did make quite good pots, but the cue ball would go in. Something would go wrong. It was, you know, just that bit of bad luck. So frustration for Michael, but good for Shout, of course, to get through right at the right at the end there. And, uh, well, what do we say about uh, Thursday then? We should say that uh, uh, Yu Peng and Sam Craigie topped their groups. Tao finished with five points, the same as Judd Trump, but go, goes through on frame, frame average there. Matthew Steemers and, and Joe Perry both finishing with two points in the group. Loads of experience in that group. So yeah, top effort from Cal Yipeng, actually. Judd missed his chances from what I could see in that final match. He certainly, I certainly saw a couple of balls that he expected to get. He drew 2-2 with Perry, and uh, that meant Cal went through as, as the group winner. Craigie won his group with seven points, three more than Michael White. So... I say hats off to Cowher, Phil, but perhaps the, the real story is the drama involving Holt and Zhao. And I listened to back to one of our episodes before, and you were making the point very well that it is low-key, but actually that format, and we might come on to a bit of a negative point about the format coming shortly, actually, but that format, when it goes to the wire like that, it actually can work, can't it? It can really be dramatic. Yeah, 100%, because people need a draw or a win, or, you know, I watched... A Gilbert match in the first group went around down to the colours to top the group, you know. Um, yeah, it really builds up over the day and uh, all sorts of permutations. And that, that Zhao Gadong, Michael Holt, Zhao Yulong group uh, was a great example of that because, um, yeah, Holt really built up nicely, didn't he? He got a really late, late entry, came through his first group, and then he'll be disappointed to not lose a match in that second group and go out on the high break. Um, by what was it, 18 points between the breaks? <laughs> it's, yeah, annoying. Um, but also, you know, he got the latest of call-ups to replace Ronnie O'Sullivan and I think he will have won six grand for his two days' work. So it ain't it ain't bad couple of days uh, on the table for the hitman there. Um, but yeah, Cow did really well in that group. That was a tough group, wasn't it? Judd Trump, Matthew Stevens, Joe Perry, bloody hell. Mm. Um, whoever came through that deserved it. And uh, so Cow, Cow did excellently there. Very much so. And then we, the mists were clearing, Phil. And after heaven knows how many days, and uh, well, we know how many weeks, four weeks, we were through <laughs> to the final day. Uh, and that was, uh, yeah, stage three, finals day on Friday. And uh, it was two, in, two intriguing groups, it really was. 
Group A, Robert Milkins, Sean Murphy, Chris Wakeling, Xiao Kudong. Group B, Sam Craigie, Cao Yi Peng, Nopon Sankam, and Mark Williams. Well, you, you, you'll know, of course, who won the groups. That, that would be obvious to you now, I'm sure. It was uh, Sean Murphy and, and Mark Williams. Well, Group A was won by Murphy then on five points ahead of Wakelin with four, Milkins with three, and Zhao with two. Murphy drew uh, 2-2 with Milkins in the final game of that group to seal the deal. And then the other group, well, goodness me, I mean, that, that, uh, that really threw up an incident of note. It was won by Williams, the group, finishing with seven points ahead of Craigie with five, uh, Nopon with four and Cow with zero, actually. So he, he would have expected him to do better in that. Williams beat Nopon 3-1 in the final uh, group match to seal his place in the final. But in the penultimate match, Phil, Cow uh, certainly attracted some attention. I put um, a video clip of this up on on social media. He got more viewers than some films on Film 4, Phil. It, it was an absolute hit. And, well, Cow smashed the Reds from his break-off shot. And uh, what what is quite good, isn't it? You only saw a bit of it from the video I put up, but if actually if you look at the longer version, watch the live match, he's studying them for quite a lot of seconds, actually. He's really getting down. And, you know, and I, I saw someone put it as, as if he's seen something that no one else has. I mean, it's unlikely he's going to see some mad plant from a from a triangle that sort of started where every frame ever played. You know what I mean? But anyway, he, he did that. He thought you might find something, but all he found was the cue ball coming off the pack and going straight in the pocket. But it was 2-0 at that stage to Craigie. And it was very much a live frame in tournament terms, you know. So not for Cal, but for the others. So that, while we say the format can be great, that is, I guess, the age-old drawback of groups. People often say this, and I think, oh, is that a bit cynical? But we saw evidence of it there, didn't we? That was where the format maybe isn't optimal, because we saw a situation there where a player gave a real advantage to his opponent in a, in a frame that, as I say, was still relevant in tournament terms. Yeah, I feel like we've spoken to this before. It must have been last year or even the year before. But um, yeah, I've not seen too many examples of it this year. But there's, there often are, especially in that first group stage, where um, people turn up for their first day of the season. And if they've lost their first two games, they're very sort of downbeat and can't be bothered with the last one. Um, and they obviously get to the point where they don't mind if they finish last. But as you say their result affects other people in the group. So that definitely is a drawback and it's uh, it's hard to get around in this sort of group feature. Um, I quite like the sort of building group stages and everyone playing each other round robins, but it certainly is a negative and you've just got to, you just got to trust the professionalism of professional snooker players, haven't you? Um, but occasionally frustration gets the better of them. You know, he wasn't throwing in the towel. I'm sure he didn't. Although, as you say, the way he lined it up, it was almost like he was trying to get the white in in the bucket off it because it took a long time to get to pick his spot and then for it to fly in was very funny. But, um, yeah, uh, it's not ideal, is it? You don't want to see that because, I mean, I think it literally is in like the player's con- contract. You have to give your best at all times. So you are actually breaking a rule <laughs> if you don't, if you're not trying to win. Um, so, yeah, a, a minor drawback, but certainly, it certainly is a drawback. Yeah, and of course, one of these days, a player's going to do that uh, and a red will go in and they'll make a big break from it. And they'll say, oh, it can be done. Of course it can be done. But more often than not, it's obviously not going to be the right thing to do. In the same way it wasn't for Hussein Bafai to do mm-hmm. it in Crucible against Ronnie. It, you know, it's, it, I, I wouldn't like to say how many times out of 10, but 
I'd say at least seven, it's likely to go wrong. And you're likely to just hand your opponent, you know, an easy opener and an easy chance early on. But that's how it ended up, Phil. And then that final, Murphy against Williams, won 3 0 by Murphy. And uh, he is the first ranking event winner of this 23 24 season. Now, he's rightly said to you and on his own podcast that tournaments are hard to win. So, you know, you take any win. Of course you do. And I just wonder now what, you know, how it might propel him for this season. I mean, we know that Luca won it last year. He won the tournament right at the end, the biggest one of all the world championship. I mean, what Sean would give for another title of the Crucible. But you feel what he'd give for any of the really big titles in the game. The Triple Crown events again. He's on one of each. I mean, it's it's obvious that he's good enough to win one of those big ones. So he'll take, just take great confidence from this. And if he has that supreme confidence, and he's such a confidence player going forward, you know, that you feel this could be a bit of a sky's the limit season for him. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's back in amongst the favourites for everything. And you couldn't say that um, a couple of years ago, really, could you? He's really, <laughs> oddly, other than a run to the World Championship final where he lost to Mark Selby, narrowly lost to Mark Selby as well. He basically had two seasons of not doing very much. Um, at all, really, especially the 21-22 season. Um, there's nothing of note there. Um, and that's why he's got this target of world number one. Well, he's got the target because he wants to get to world number one, but it's achievable even though he's away behind it because he's got very little to defend because he was doing so so little two years ago. Um, but suddenly, um, you know, he was never he was never sort of written off, obviously, but he, he, he sort of got into the, the dark horse stage for tournaments rather than People genuinely think he was a strong contender, but now he's, uh, you know, he's very much among the favourites for everything. Just like Mark Allen became, um, seems a while ago now when he was winning all the tournaments. But Murphy's sort of taken over from his pal there. Um, but yeah, genuine contender for everything, of course, for all the biggest tournaments. And uh, yeah, like you said, nothing lasts forever um, in terms of um, purple patches or bad patches when you're as good as them. Um, so he said, <laughs> again, I'm banging on about this interview I did with him, but he's just hoping that the form will last long enough to collide with a really big event. So if you can keep it going as far as the the UK, yeah, that's quite a long way, but um, he'll take whatever he can get in the meantime. Very much so. Yeah, good way of summing it up. And I don't know if you want to say anything overall about the Championship League. I mean, I think I have the same reaction I normally have to it. it you know, it didn't change my life. Unlikely to, but it, it, it gave me nice company, gave us all, you know, I think decent company. As we said many times, and, you know, each to their own, not everyone that listens to this podcast w- w- would would love all sports. In fact, we, we do get quite a bit of correspondence saying that uh, snooker is the only sport that people like, or one of the only two or three. So we shouldn't presume everyone's the same, but certainly people like me, people like yourself, there's loads of great sport on at the moment, isn't there? It's, it, we've been co- consumed by the Ashes series. We should say, of course, more rain, Phil. Thumbs down from an England point of view. Australia are retaining the famous term. But that, of course, has been, you know, gripping us all for recent weeks. We've had Wimbledon, had the Open Championship, rather a flat one, unfortunately, I would say, just gone. With Brian Harmon uh, victorious there. So, with the greatest win in the world, it would take something really, really big in snooker for, to break through. So I think that's one thing you've got to weigh up. And the Championship League takes its place in a kind of quiet way and it meanders sort of from week to week and sort of gets bigger towards the end and more people tune in. And uh, I, I quite like it, really. 
I quite like. But should we? Should we? I know we had a bit of correspondence, and we were going to say whether we should do it or not. Joe Gibney does make one point. He says that a way of having a few people in for the final really should have been found. He says you can't have ranking points won and lost in front of nobody. It's not the COVID days. I find myself a bit torn on that point. Part of me is, well, you can have ranking events in front of nobody. It's fine to do that. And not just in COVID. You know, it's just on principle, it's fine. This event has never had fans. But I do think since the pandemic struck, so since 2020, and it kind of, it's got bigger, it's now, you know, ranking events some of the time. I do wonder whether they could. What was the one towards the end of the last season? They just had the, that. Was, they just the, the, the that, classic. That was it, of course, and that did kind of make a difference to the overall thing. I think that they had people in towards the end. So I, I don't know. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be against the whole thing being behind closed doors, but maybe make a provision for a few to come in for the final. I think there's potentially a case for that. I'm sure people far more involved in the game than I. I, I am. Will tell me there's probably various new again feel nuanced. Oh, I don't like. <laughs> I'm annoyed with myself. Don't like saying it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure there are probably various reasons why that's not possible. Uh, I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but I, I do find a little bit of sympathy with that with that point from Joe. But overall, I'm sure you want to have your say on that. Um, I quite enjoyed it again, and it, it, it's gave this it's given the season a, not not let's say not, not a life changing start, but a, a nice pleasant start. Yeah, I think I'm the same. I always sort of feel the same about it. Um, you know, but, you know, it was building up to a climax um, on Friday, and I was finding it very hard not to watch the Ashes. I'm afraid um, it was sort of, my my attention was at, at best split, if not on the cricket. So yeah, it is hard to um, to sort of gain attention. But you could say that any time of the year. It's not like there's not like massive football matches. Um, and other sports going on when they're peak of the snooker season. So we're always competing, but yeah, it is what it is, isn't it? Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's always calls for sort of a season opener. And we've talked about maybe a team tournament then or anything else, um, champion and champions. Um, but I think realistically that, that would be the curtain raiser and then we would have the championship league anyway. Um, so yeah, I, it, it's fine for what it is. Um, it's been a good start to the season for a number of players, you know, anyone who, Got really, really got through their first group, um, earned four grand or more, which is a nice little earner over the summer um, when you could easily not be playing much snooker at all. Um, and there are a couple of a couple of notable uh, newcomers. I thought I thought Lee, Liu Hong Yu, uh, he's only nineteen, winning his first group and then finishing second in the second group. That's a very solid start. And Long Zhuang, who won his first group and then I think he drew all his matches in his second group, so he he got through. I mean, he didn't get through. <laughs> he got knocked out in the second group, but he didn't lose a game. So um, impressive stuff from those two um, to kick off their lives on tour. Um, and yeah, the point about um, people in for the final, I think because this tournament was always long before it sort of became what it is now. It was only streamed for betting companies. It was all behind closed door. That was the whole point of it, really, wasn't it? So I think the thinking was you didn't want people in because it was just being streamed on betting companies. And if there were people there, they could be ahead of the game, as it were, betting live, in-play betting. So I'm not really sure what the deal with that is now because there's a lot of tournaments streamed online um, with fans. So I'm not I'm not sure if that's still the reason why people can come in, but that might be why people can't even come in for the final. 
But I, yeah, I, I take that point. I think you're absolutely right. But I do think the goalposts have changed a bit, haven't they? This is the mm-hmm. point that I think I would maybe Joe's hinting at, and certainly I, I would say. I think the tournament's changed. I mean, I remember, I'm, I'm sure I'm not making this up or imagining it, when pay, players would almost say, oh, this is pay practice. That was mm-hmm. almost the vibe. It was kind of that relaxed. It's more than that now, isn't it? It is more than that now. The, 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 the status has changed. I don't think I'm making that up or dreaming that up. So, listen, it, I won't lose sleep over it, but uh, there is something in that, I think. I don't think the whole tournament, but maybe right at the end there. And, and it, at the end of the day, it is nice when a player's lifting a trophy to people, isn't there? Isn't mm. it, really? There is something... In, a little bit odd about about no one being there for that. It's fine. It's fine. We'll have loads and loads of tournaments coming up where the, where the, uh, the trophy is paraded to fans, sometimes many, many fans, thousands at some of the arenas. So, of course, it's, you know, all part of the, the, the ups and downs and the different stories and tournaments of the season. But, yeah, there's something in that, I think. But, uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I think you're, you're right. Originally, that was that, that was the thing. Um, it, it was just on the betting side, as you say early on, wasn't it, mm. really? And ITV came in for that famous pandemic one. I don't think it's ever been on proper mainstream telly again, has it, really? I think it, it's generally always been on free sports or now via play, Matchroom Live. I think that, frankly, I'll be surprised if that ITV time wasn't a one-off, eh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I completely agree with nice to have fans. It's nice to have fans in. Um, obviously, no, no one prefers behind play behind closed doors, so... Yeah, that would be better. Um, yeah, the, it, yeah, that old version of it when it was at Crondon Park in Essex was just like a golf club. Um, and it, it used to win money per frame one. You know, they, they had a version in, in the darts as well. Like, I think they came in in the, in the darts and the suit at the same time and uh, used to win money per leg one in that. And Phil Taylor used to talk about, um, he used to call the hockey the ramp to the bank because he would just <laughs> he would win so many legs of darts. Um, and I think it was like 50 quid or 100 quid per leg. It doesn't seem like a lot, but if you're Phil Taylor, you really rack them up quickly. So he enjoyed it. <laughs> no, but a bit of a tangent. It was quite an anti-climactic sporting Sunday, I felt, with the Open being flat and the cricket. We know what happened there with the rain. Was that darts final anticlimactic, or was it just a brilliant performance? It wasn't close, was it? No, it wasn't close, but it was a brilliant performance. Yeah, Nathan Aspinall winning 11 legs on the spin to beat Johnny Clayton. I think Phil Taylor is the only other person who's won 11 legs on the spin in a match play final. So, um, because it was, you know, if that was Michael Van Gerwen doing that, it might have been anticlimactic because you expect it from him to an extent. But because it was Aspinall, he'd been four years without a major since he won the UK Open. Um, so, yeah, it, it it wasn't close. You'd rather have the drama, but it was such an amazing performance then. It was it was remarkable. Yeah, I get that. I get that. This might be too much of a leap, but we've had finals like that. We've even had world finals like that. I mean, that Judd against John Higgins wasn't remotely close, but it was brilliant because Judd was mm. so brilliant. So, it, yeah, that, I know exactly what you mean. Well, perhaps we'll leave the Championship League uh, uh, goodbye, Phil, but only until the uh, the next edition, because as you know, there are now perhaps as many, if not more, episodes of the Championship League in an average year than there are EastEnders. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I'll give you a shout-out for the for the ranking Championship League. I prefer it to the Invitational Championship League, which comes across um, over sort of Christmas, New Year time, um, and people stay in groups for ages, and it's all a bit confusing. Not everyone's in it. Who gets the invites, who doesn't? I much prefer this a ver- version of it 
to that version. So shout out to the Summer Championship League for that. <laughs> OK, well, we should say you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. And the snooker continues, Phil. We are now going to enter a few days, aren't we, of European Masters qualifying in Leicester. Of course, that big tournament coming up in Nuremberg uh, in August. So why don't you, sir, take us through the highlights of that, including a match that you've already admitted on social media made you go, ooh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it was just because um, it's the first time I looked at the schedule properly. It was the very first one, top of the list. If you had snooker.org, Aaron Hill against Jimmy White uh, tomorrow morning, as as we on Monday night now, Tuesday morning. And that's a lovely old way to start. Um, 61-year-old Jimmy White against 21-year-old Aaron Hill. Um, so <laughs> a battle of the generations. Could be two generations between them. Um, so, yeah, that, then there's just loads. I mean, when you get back to these sort of one-to-eight draws, um, there's no shortage of... Exciting matches to look at. Jack Jones against Michael White is Tuesday as well. That's a very nice one. Uh, John Higgins, of course. So it's only it's only the top eight in the world who are going to get their matches held over to to Nuremberg. So there's some real big names uh, heading to to qualifying, and none more so than John Higgins, who's playing Martin Gould, which is no easy start either. Um, few of the you know the youngsters, everyone's keeping an eye on it. Liam Pullen, Stan Moody. Every, Everyone's playing, so naming the whole tour here. But um, a couple of other standout ones. Pang Jun Shu <laughs> gets Mink Nusharat. That'll be a tough one for her. Um, si Jiahui gets Julian Leclerc. That's an exciting uh, battle of the youngsters there again. Another big name, Anti McGill against Dominic Dale. Um, Mark Williams, um, he'll be there playing Zhang Ander. Um, and I noticed Rianne Evans, she, she got Championship League off to a decent start with a win and a draw. And she's got um, Jensen Kendrick, who... You know, no disrespect, he's lower down the rankings. Um, she'll hope hope to carry on some good early season form there. A um, couple more while I just r- r- randomly read out matches. Lesowski against Craigie's a nice one, isn't it? First oh. round of the deal. And uh, Gary Wilson against Ben Mertens. I think everyone sort of uh, has been enjoying watching the youngster from Belgium coming through and looking good. So um, he's got a big test against the top 16 player in Gary Wilson. But I've probably named an awful lot of them there. But if there's any other ones that have stood out to you, give them a shout. There are loads that did you this is quite rude if you did, isn't it? You must turn us away with the fairies for a few seconds. Did you say Stan Moody Elliot Slesser? Mentioned that's, I mentioned Stan, but I don't think I said he was playing Elliot. Uh, oh yeah, that's a that's a nice one. I I I like the contrasting characters between Jose Mafai and Rod Lawler. Oh god, are those <laughs> are those bloody dogs around? Are they where are they? <laughs> hey I'm not I'm not gonna Rod, say it. Rod Lawler. I oh, know no, no it's only works. Actually, what am I doing? It's only works you're there, aren't you? I'm here. Wake up, Nick. <laughs> it's quite late in fairness um, so yeah don't you say it we'll, we'll wait, you'll wake the whole neighbourhood up um, Bill well, that's, I like the contrast there though and just to say I, I love I didn't quite clock it was 61 and 21 but of course it is what an age gap that's one of the <laughs> sort of many many beauties of this sport always nice to see Marco Fu I think I, so I, I noticed him he's playing Adam Duffy so I think yeah you took care of most of those Really, really attractive matches. So nice action to come. You know, as I say we enjoy the Championship League, but when it comes to this tournament, this will be the first proper regular knockout tournament of the season. And I think there there is a different quality about those, isn't there? Mm-hmm. We've got quite a lot of qualifiers actually in the next sort of few weeks. It's still a, a relatively quiet time in these sort of summer weeks and months. And then the tournament proper in August, and then we really get into the season in, in September. So the other thing to say is, of course, 
these tournaments are so unpredictable now, aren't they? Well, I know yeah. we had Sean winning a couple towards the end of last season, but you know, you, you never know quite. You know, that, they were they were the ITV ones, of course. They're so not so many players, but these one two eight ones, you, you know, it, it, I wouldn't quite you know say needle in a haystack, but there are so many, so many top players that it's it's hard to pick a winner. And uh, I guess that's, you know, the age-old thing about is it better to have a few players that are good or better to have lots of players that can win? Um, we've got the latter very much at the moment, and we've so many tournament contenders, and I think that sort of makes every one in its own way kind of compelling. Yeah, absolutely. And these early season ones seem to be very unpredictable as well because not these top players... A few players skip the Championship League and then their matches are held over. Um, so they were, their first game, the competitive game of the season, will be in, in the arena at Nuremberg um, sort of in a month's time. Um, and by that, I'm talking about Luca Brassell. Will be, it'll be his first. Selby, Robertson, Ronnie, Mark Allen. None of them will have played. Uh, and then they'll turn up for their first game there. Um, I'll just run through the held over games so if people... Uh, are wondering where people are. So Murphy against Graham Tart, what first round game that is oh. in any tournament. Um, Judd Trim against Mohamed Ibrahim. Um, and then all these other ones, it'll be their first game of the season. Mark Allen against Anton Kazakov. Ronnie Epsilon against Andy Hicks. Could be the mid-90s. Um, Mark Selby against the new player from Thailand, whose nickname is Quid, which maybe we'll be sticking to, instead of Masawin Fetmalaikul. Uh, I hope I've not butchered that. Oh, uh, sorry, sorry, Phil. Can you just say uh, my, my headphones um, cut out a bit? Can you just say that last bit again? Manasseh win Fetmalaikul. Uh, <laughs> better second time round, I thought. Actually. Much better. Um, be Much better. Yeah. And a World Championship rematch: Neil Roberts against Wu Yizer, uh, and then Luca Brassell against Jackson Page. So yeah, I mean, talk about Robertson there. If he's turning up for his first game of the season against Wu Yizer, uh, banana skin central. So. Um, yeah, my point, original point before I read all that out was that uh, early season tournaments uh, are unpredictable. Bill, it's time for a guess of the year for you. You mentioned Murphy Dot. No, oh, have a go. It's not going to be easy. They never are. They never are. Uh, Mur- Murphy was pro in 99, I think. So I'll say 2001. Well, I think it's 05, actually. But a bit oh, later, wow. I thought Northern Ireland Open, Northern Ireland Trophy, I beg your pardon, Sean Murphy 4, Graham Dot 2. Yeah, so maybe a bit earlier. But going through the list here, they must have played some really big matches over the years. I wonder if they've had one at the Crucible, not one that, that they've certainly had one at the UK that I can see here, Sean winning that. So, yeah, that's a, a proper old uh, match. They did play in the last 16 a, a decade ago at the Crucible, Sean winning it 13 11. I mean, I don't. That match doesn't instantly come to mind, but I I don't need to 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 have seen it to know that was a proper old scrap. And there would have been some good old tablecloth there, wouldn't there? In in that one, you know, you that, that wily old competitor Gray never makes it easy, does he? Absolutely. And I just while you were speaking, then I've rustled up um, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Andy Hicks's first meeting. How about that? Here we go then. Ronnie O'Sullivan against Andy Hicks. Oh, bloody hell! Snooker, bloody hell. I'm killing time, <laughs> Phil. I'm killing time. Um, I want to say 98. 1992? Wow. Way back. Early wow. on in a UK championship, Rene Salon 5, Andy Hicks nil. Wow. I thought, I thought I'd... So, yeah, I, I went, I went uh, six years out. Uh, I'm back, back to school for me there. Two <laughs> Hail Marys, bit of penance to do after that. 
but yeah, no, that's that, goodness me, that's that's that really is going back in it. Bonnie's very early days indeed. Well, we look forward to it, don't we, Phil? I mean, it's going to be you know, and we can't you know say enough that going abroad for any tournament, frankly, is brilliant. And the next few months, we're going back to China, which is so massive, isn't it? Absolutely huge, and you know. Germany, which is, you know, we have an established tournament in Berlin, of course, that we love. That'll be in the new year. But this one as well, it, you know, it's just a real chance for the public there to, in, to sort of em- embrace the stars and just get the feeling that this, after so many, I'm going to use that word, parochial seasons, that's what it's felt like. You know, we're just stuck here in the UK, love it for pandem- pan- pandemic reasons. You know, we feel like the game is finally pushing the boat out again this season. And, and frankly, the more tournaments abroad, the merrier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I don't know what the scene is like in Nuremberg, but we know that the German fans are very passionate. Certainly in Berlin, I'm sure they will be there. So that'd be great. Um, yeah, very just as all the players that will get to go and play there. And uh, yeah, we want to see more and more. Um, a lot of the talk when Luca won the World Championship was it won't just be Belgium, it'll be continental Europe. They'll feel the benefit of it. So hopefully. Germany will uh, will get even more of a boost. We don't we know how popular it is there already, but um, it can never be too popular. Let's say that way. Very much so, and we very much look forward to the qualifiers and the European Masters to come. Shall we do the bit of correspondence? I say the bit of correspondence. I mean, this you know, it's a bit it's a bit sort of Dead Sea Scrolls, isn't it? Really, here for Matt Owen, but all good stuff. Shall we, do you want to place it a bit? So, so we maybe tick more towards the hour point for this episode? Yeah, let me just have a look here. It's quite a long email from Matt uh, Matt Owen. Um, I'll skip straight to, here are my three talking points. Um, So number one, why did matches last so long in the era before television? What was the thinking behind 60-frame three-day matches? Maybe we can answer these as they come. Um, And I say that. Not that I have a very good answer for that question. I imagine that television in the question is a good is a good starting point because television probably cut games down considerably to be more sensible for that medium. Um, but I suppose you had you had far fewer professionals, hardly any, and a lot of time on the hands to fill, um, and they just did it by playing endless endless matches. I don't know if you've got a more comprehensive answer than that. No, I think that's probably along the the right lines. What I say is the World Championship, from everything I've ever read about it, was a lot madder, if I can use that phrase, going back. Before the tournament that we, we, we've come to know and love so much, predominantly in Sheffield, it was sometimes so long. It could last sort of months. Mm. The final itself would be a different event. So I think it would be, wanting to be corrected on this, but certainly post-war, 40s, 50s, maybe even into the 60s, you'd have sort of separate rounds at separate times and the final would be the really big deal. That would be played for day after day after day. So I think that would be one reason why the world final would be so particularly long. And just generally, I think, yeah, people just not didn't know any different in a way. I think they probably just thought, well, why wouldn't we have very, very long matches? There's no reason not to. As you say, far fewer players. There was no no time constraints as such. And, you know, as you say, it was television. And let's, you know, let's be clear, tele, you know, matches would be longer now, wouldn't they, if it wasn't for telly? Telly, con- yeah. tele- telly controls the game, really. 
and many people will say rightly they're, they're the paymasters. They're the ones that I think have changed the UK, for example, radically. They're the ones that want all the matches over in one session. They want people to tune in to the start of a match, watch the whole thing, watch the result, watch the interviews, and for, for the presenter to say goodbye. And that's the package they want. And that's the package that's, I'm sure, most successful. And that they would know that. So, uh, you know, it's TV is the reasons why matches have been cut down. But yeah, the old, the old ways were just, I think people didn't know better. It's like when world finals, maybe even other matches, but certainly world finals, they were decided and long decided. But ma- matches would still carry on to the end, even if frames were dead. You'd st- <laughs> they'd play on for like half a day more or a day more. You know, it's just it, madness. But as you say, there was, there was no reason not to, I think. I hope that's a satisfactory enough answer. Uh, but but yeah, looking back at the you know those final, there's one that Walter Donaldson was in. I can't remember if it was forty seven or forty eight. It was very long. I think the final itself was about six, seven, eight days long. I mean, it was just mad. Do you fancy uh, Crucible now, Phil? If, if it was six, seven, eight day final, we'd, we I mean we're broken men by the end of it anyway with a two day final. Imagine the six, seven, eight. We'd have to be carried out of there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the dead frames thing, isn't it? I mean, drudging them out when you already know the winner, they can't imagine much worse than that, really, to be honest. Wouldn't even do that in the club. Um, and I think other sports were similar. You know, we used to have timeless tests in cricket, didn't they? And boxing matches, if you go and look at uh, boxing matches from sort of early 1900s, there were dozens and dozens of rounds long. You just can't imagine how they can even do that. But um, yes, they just sport would just go on and on in the past. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't just snooker that was uh, doing things like that. Um, we'll go to number two of the talking points. Uh, Luca Brussel winning the World Championship was one of the best stories snooker could have hoped for. I loved watching Luca win it and made the two, 2023 World Championship one of the best ever. However, I'm not sure he will ever win again. The way he played was so unrelenting. He relied so much on attack and balls opening kindly that if he isn't potting everything that moves as he was in the tournament, then I don't think playing that way can win you the World Championship. It really was a once-in-a-lifetime performance. I think never to be repeated. Clearly, you can't fluke your way to a World Championship, but I do think the stars somewhat aligned for him. Fortune clearly favoured the brave. Look at how he attacked from behind against Ronnie O'Sullivan and C. Jahui. Incredible play, but I think the point I'm floundering to make is that Luca would need to play that well again or better to win at the Crucible again. I wouldn't think his B game would cut it in the way that it has in the past for Ronnie and Mark Selby, for example. Um... Yeah, I get what Matt's saying. I mean, he, he really hit top form um, consistently, much more consistently than he has done in his career so far. Um, but you never know. You may he might take him to a new level and he might be able to find that real A-plus game a lot more regularly than he has done in the past um, with the knowledge that it's taken to a World Championship title already. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the odds would be if he now said that Luca would, would or wouldn't win another World title. He's, he's young enough. Um, he's going to have a lot of time when a lot of the established stars are are gone. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely get the point, but I I wouldn't be ruling him out of another world title at this stage. Yeah, I have to go along with that. Really, uh, I can see the point. Uh, there was a stars aligning moment, but I think you can say that that you can make that point. The stars align point for a lot of world championship winners, frankly. Uh, or indeed a lot of players and teams that win many, many sporting events. Yes, I see the point, but I mean, it's the ultimate time will tell thing. He could just take so much confidence from this. You know, what he did show to me and to everyone else, I think, is 
he can blitz it. That's sort of what he did, really. He, he blitzed his way to the title. You know, he, he came back from, you know, quite a long way behind against Ronnie. String of frames to win it. Miles behind against C.J.I. He, hopeless position, won it brilliantly. Then in the final, I mean, there were two or three journalists, I remember, and I was sort of very much in agreement. They were almost like, oh, is it worth turning it? Coming today, you know, the start of the play, we know what's going to happen now. People were that sure about Selby. They really were. Or, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Now, the start of that Monday, it was like, it had to be Selby. If it, you know, if it, if he was three behind, you'd fancy him, but one behind and with, with the benefit of a good night's sleep coming out, you know, people in that press room, they made Selby a hot favourite there. But Luca came out and effectively won it, didn't he, that, that afternoon? Bang, 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 four frames in an hour. So I think what I'm getting at is he's that kind of player. He's an inspirational player. I think he can win big stuff again. I think he's good enough. Time will tell. Plenty of plenty of marvellous players have only won it once. And I want to have a certain, uh, what's the right word, intonation on that on that uh, sentence. That I don't mean that in any bad way because to win it once is brilliant. You know, Stuart Bingham may only win it once. Dennis Taylor did win it once. Graham Dot may only win it once. Likely he, he will only win it once. That's still brilliant. They've still got a special, special place in the history of the game. So don't worry about that. But he's good enough to be a multiple winner. Time will tell. I can think the confidence that this has given him could be immense. So, yeah, that's the, that's the way I'd say it. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, if he was on his B game throughout the whole tournament, then, yeah, I agree that... Um... Seems very unlikely, but he sort of he was in his B game for patches, and then suddenly, as you say, four or five frames, just find something, and you know he's won them all in an hour. So you know, whenever you've got that kind of ability, then uh, he's always a threat. Um, and this is the third, and I think the final point. Um, and this is a compliment to you. Nick made a fantastic point recently on the podcast um, when he said that no one has ever suggested that Wimbledon should move because centre court. Capacity is not as large as the other Ash Stadium, or worse to that effect. I'm a firm believer that the World Championship should stay at the Crucible. As far as I can see, there were three elements, exceptional talisman like Steve Davis and Alex Higgins notwithstanding, which really endeared snooker to the wider public in the 80s, a position where it has largely remained give or take. These are, as I see it, the advent of colour television, pop black television series, and the World Championship moving to the Crucible. Uh, clearly, pop black and the advent of colour TV are now very much from a different time, but I think it would be folly to under- underestimate the role that the special theatre in Sheffield plays in Snooker's ongoing success. I don't mind if I never actually get to go to the Crucible because of how incredible the drama comes across on television, and this is surely heightened by the Crucible venue itself. Snooker does not have a divine right to television coverage, and there are plenty of sports that would love the exposure Snooker has. We should be mindful of that and never get complacent. Anyway, all the best, guys, and thank you for the great podcast, which has become a must-listen for me. Cheers, Matt. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of Snooker fans would agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, we talk about it a lot, what the best option here is. I, I think we've agreed that we would love just a rejigging of the Crucible, if it is possible, to squeeze in a few more seats, squeeze in a hospitality box or two, and then we'd never have to leave. I just don't know if that is doable. Um, but if it is, even if it's if they got up to fifteen hundred capacity with a bit of corporate seating or whatever, 
um, then we could all stay and not have to worry about it again. I think that's what we'd all like to see, really, isn't it? <laughs> Very much so. I should say, as much as I obviously like praise, and who doesn't? It wasn't my point, and I hope I, I have attributed it. I, I've certainly repeated it, but I think I've always given credit. It was Phil Yates, Yates the Greats. He has <laughs> said, Phil, before, I'm pretty sure he said it with, with Dave Hendon on, on the Snooker Scene podcast about Wimbledon and uh, the Arthur Ashe Stadium. It's a great point, and I was thinking in, in my head about it. You could extend that to loads of things. I mean, I thought a couple of times this summer, Phil, I don't think any of our cricket grounds quite had the, had the right capacity. I always think they could sell more tickets for the really biggest series. But, you know, Lords is about, I think, give or take about 30,000 now. But no one's ever said, oh, you know, that, that, old, that old place or been disparaging. Lords is a, almost a sacred place in the game, mm-hmm. isn't it? The Melbourne cricket ground holds the best part of 100,000. But I don't think anyone would say Laws is lesser than MCG. Most would put it above it. So it's not just about size, and that's the point. And but again, we come back. We go over the same things. Of course, you know, you can see why people that are in charge of the game think. Wait a minute, they're selling more and more corporate tickets. It's a gold dust ticket now. We can get more bums on seats elsewhere. Frankly. The only thing I would say is, <laughs> again, it's a gold dust ticket because it's the crucible. And mm. would they go somewhere else the same way? Who knows? But listen, um, they're good points. We're, we're grateful that you made them. And actually, it reminds me, these three points. Two out of three ain't bad because they're the same as John Virgo, two of them. He said when he joined us on that most famous of appearances here on Talking Snooker, that he thought the three elements for the complete transformation of snooker were the advent of colour television, Pop Black and Alex Higgins. But maybe, as uh, as our correspondent here says, Matt, we should we should give more credit uh, to uh, to the Crucible move. Um, lo- lovely to hear from you, Matt. And, you know, he does say he, the podcast c- contributes massively to the snooker season and to my own enjoyment of the game. I liken the advent of snooker podcast to the difference between watching a match which is being commented on as opposed to one which has no commentary. The reduction in enjoyment is frankly palpable watching the silent match. You feel one step removed of the game where the commentary brings you so much closer to the sport. The same is also true of podcasts. Now we have wicked in-depth discussions about the players, the rules and all other facets of the game. It brings you so much closer to the sport and the season. I'm very grateful to you all. Long may it continue. Each season feels more enjoyable than the next. Thanks to the narrative provided by the two principal podcasts, yours and Snooker Scene. Well, I don't know if that, that's the case, but it's, it's nice. It's nice of you to say. Many, many good podcasts out there now, of course. Phil, any other business? Should say, I'm going to say it on air. Sorry, it's, we're later than we should be. It's my fault. So we're not going to be here much longer. Any other business? So I know you've got a couple of news lines from the last few days. Yeah, right. I'm just returning to my notes here. I actually missed a, a bit off on the uh, European Masters. As far as I could count, there are five. Uh, Five pros not playing in there, which were new African champ, Mustafa Dorgan, probably not got over here yet. Deshwat Pumjang's not over here. Um, the other three, Hendry, hasn't played a lot. Jumwi, he didn't play in the Championship League, he's not in this. Um, I don't know why, maybe he's gone back to China and he's not back yet. And the, the, I thought the most interesting one was Stephen Maguire, who didn't play in the Championship League and hasn't played in this. And he's sort of really tumbling down the rankings. And uh, I'm not sure why, there might be a very good reason why. Um, I've not found it out, 
But he's going to have to start playing and winning some matches soon, or else it would be the most surprising of drops off tour ever if Maguire fell off at the end of the season. He really will. He's a, he's a brilliant player, isn't he? And it, 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 I mean, his drop off in form has been quite alarming, actually, the, the last year or two. He's really, really gone off the ball. I've seen him in a couple of TV matches, and he doesn't look anything like the player we know he is. I mean, listen, famous last words, let's hope. This is totally wrong, and he wins big tournaments and and, and soon because he's good enough. But he's the kind of guy that could sort of slowly drift away, isn't he? Because of the sort of nature of him, I think, and the way he sort of is. You know, he has other sort of fun and things in his life, I think. He's never been, I think, to the infuriation of some, actually, he's never really been totally committed to the sport, has he? I think by his own admission, he's never been one of those, you know, live and die by the sport. He's always been a bit... Not fly by night, that's a bit um, strong. But you know what I mean? I remember Chris Downer, when he joined us on here, always said that how much he enjoys watching him, but he frustrates him a bit. And I think a lot of fans might say that about Maguire. I think I might put myself in that camp as well. I sometimes wish he'd applied himself a bit more than he has over the years. But yeah, no, it's it's a concern. And and uh, but Hendry, I mean, goodness me, I mean, he, he plays in so little. I know, I know he's you know doing other things, Phil, but, you know, he's supposed to be a player. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's no entry fees, aren't there? I don't know why he wouldn't just pop up and play a low-profile qualifier match. You know what you got to lose. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, Maguire, it's, it's mad, really. He just had such an awful season last year. It wasn't long ago, you know, he won the Tour Championship. That was only 2020. Yeah, um, early on in COVID. Um, but a couple of seasons, that 21-22 season, I've got here. Got three quarterfinals, including the World Championship. <laughs> Not bad. Um, so he's obviously he's not become a terrible player, but um, yeah, he, he I think he's one that really suffered about a lot of the changes to the tour, going and playing all these qualifiers in front of no one. Even as we as we came out of the pandemic, still doing that, I think he found it very hard. Um, but you know, there's no real choice. You've got to you've got to get on with it. Um, so hopefully he will. Hopefully there's a there's a reason why he's not played yet this season, and he'll be back uh, and playing well because uh, yeah. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Guy. I always enjoy talking to him. Um, I think I've said a few times on here before I sort of ever interviewed him properly. He's got quite an intimidating presence on screen when you watch him. He's thumping the table quite a lot. Um, but he's a really nice bloke when you speak to him. So, yeah, I hope he comes back strongly. Um, I think we'd all like to see that. Um, and the, the other couple of news lines, there's the, the revamped QTOR um, the coming season, which expanded uh, QTOR Global. So they're going to be... More tour cards available as well, which I think all amateur players will be pleased about. It's not quite so uh, weighted just on Q school. So um, there's seven events, I think four in the UK and three across Europe. Uh, and the, the winner on the rankings at the end of that gets a tour card. And then there'll be three tour cards on offer at the Q tour playoff, um, which will be at least 16 players on the rankings there, plus um, potentially players from all around the world. Um, from local federations running their own uh, Q Tour events, so um, four cards on offer from the Q Tour uh, this season come in, which is good news, I believe. Uh, and then an interesting thing coming out from China, which I've tried to get more info about and have failed as yet, but I will get some this week. Um, CBSA organised event in Huanghoshu, I think you would say, um, from the first to the fifth of August. 
with some really big names, John Higgins, Judd Trump, Jack Lasowski, Mark Allen, Kyron Wilson, Stephen Hendry, um, and then a number of Chinese players, I think up to 64. Um, but it's not a World Snooker Tour event. Um, must not be shank- sanctioned or these guys wouldn't be able to play or if it if they are um they certainly can't like stream it anywhere it can't be broadcast anywhere um so yeah i've tried to get a bit more info not managed it yet um but it's an interesting one um they're obviously getting paid well or they wouldn't be going over um there to play um on on a non-ranked event so um you know it's good that these chinese events are coming up and players have got opportunities to play and everything but um it's a funny little situation, just people in when the season's already started going to have to play in uh, other unsanctioned events. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, yeah, I think that was about it. And of course, that's in tandem with the news we had about Macau, wasn't it? That's all mm. that's going to be held over Christmas, which again, players are going to be handsomely rewarded for that, obviously, but some huge names are in there as well. So yeah, it's a funny scenario, isn't it, really? Uh, you know, I. Maybe it speaks again of the Canada not quite being as full as it could be. And that, that is the case for the summer, I think it's fair to say. We're constantly told that, you know, seasons are going to get busier and busier again. And listen, this season is better, isn't it, on paper than the last couple? No question. Not just because of the return to China, although predominantly that, but also just generally, it just looks so much healthier. I mean, we had massive gaps, didn't we, the last couple of years? Uh, not quite this time, but maybe sort of August, September time. It was sort of ridiculous, actually, wasn't it? I think mm. the last one, was it the last one in particular where they were all playing pool or was that two ago, two autumns ago now? I can't remember. When Jub was playing and they all seen it. It was almost like snooker came to a, a, a standstill, effectively. And that position wasn't sustainable, was it, actually? But not long-term, anyway. But it's different this time. I mean, I'm looking at September now. We've got regular events throughout that month. So, yeah, it is odd that players are doing the their own thing. But again, you know, I guess money will talk and, you know, it's a, it's a free world. They're entitled to, to, to do so and all that. But yeah, we'll keep on keep an eye on that. But of course, the European Masters, the next big event on the agenda tournament-wise, Phil. Qualifiers coming up this week. A quick word about uh, John Higgins and the episode. Um, I think it's, you know, it will be too much to, 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 to read out any more praise. But we are, we are getting it. People still saying, writing to us emails, uh, thank you for that. Messages on Twitter. People still enjoying it. We really are grateful. More than 5,000 downloads now, approaching 10,000 listeners on Apple devices. Great, great numbers. We've never had numbers like it. It's our most popular episode and already by some distance. So I've, I've, I've certainly let John know that. And, um, you know, he's obviously you know, really, really, really pleased and being as being delightful about it and saying how much he enjoyed coming on. So it really meant a lot. And, uh, you know, continuing thanks for that. Back next time, Phil. Um, maybe a day, a day or two late next week, actually. So, but to, you have to be a bit patient, I think. But we we will be along, and uh, may have another voice with us. No, no guarantees, but that there's a possibility that we it will be a you know three 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 voices, not just the usual two. Uh, next time, uh, I think that's about it, isn't it, sir? We 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 rattled on for I think around about an hour. I was joking on social media saying this. My fault, we was getting pushed back later and later. Gonna, I was thinking it might challenge the famous 3.51 in the morning for Thorburn and Griffiths all those years ago. <laughs> the sun was coming over over Sheffield and all that, but we're not quite as late as that. But we, we will enjoy w- watching the qualifiers. 
won't we? Where where are where are they available? They'll be on the match from live service, will they? I think Discovery Plus as well, or um, you know that whatever that is called now. I think it's still of called course. that. Um, of course. Uh, yeah, and I think it's it's one where there's four tables on at times, so you can pick which one. So um, yeah, everyone will be available, I believe. Of course, it's on Discovery. Of course, it is, and. Well, in time, that's going to be rebranded. That's all becoming part of TNT Sports, isn't it? I think it's right. The, the re- become BT and Discovery kind of joining together, I think. Yeah, well, that's why I said I'm not sure what it's called, but it's sort of badged up as Discovery Plus where I was looking before, but I'm not entirely sure. But it's wherever you were watching it previously, though. Good stuff. Well, enjoy that. And, well, Phil, I hope you're not um, drowning your sorrows too much about the ashes. It they're staying in Australia's hands. It'll be more than a decade, you know, when England go there next time since they last won. It doesn't feel like that because they've, they've all been close, but Australia getting the better of the close ones. And uh, we had big darts in Blackpool as well. So ha- have a good week to come. Feels like a bit bit quiet on the sporting front, but whatever you're doing, I hope it's a good one. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's never as good as uh, Luca Russell at the minute. I was just having a look at where he's been at the minute. He was in Hong Kong. I just looked at his Instagram He's stopped up in the Philippines. Now he's off to the States for three weeks. Um, so he's having a lovely old time. And as he should as the world champion. Um, I think he'll have spent all that winnings, though, by the time he gets back. But even if he has, fair play. Um, so, yeah, not having I mean, quite as exciting a week as Luca might be. But still, it'll be good. So thanks for listening, as always, to everyone. There's been a little bit, just to say, there's been a little bit on Dave's podcast, but a few other places as well, you know, I think there is some justification for, for this point going around that we haven't maybe seen or heard as much from Luca as we could have done. Uh, you know, he is the world champion. Um, not necessarily thinking that, you know, every time we have a new world champion, they should be, you know, faced down the street by reporters throughout the summer. But it's a few months now. Bearing in mind, we all sort of thought this is going to be, you know, an unbelievable breakthrough and so exciting for, you know, a winner for mainland Europe. There, there is a case for saying we, we're not quite, I say we're, you know, Snooker's maybe not quite, you know, banging that drum enough so far. Uh, yeah. He, I mean, I know from personal experience, he's not the easy, he wasn't the easiest guy to get hold of um, media-wise uh, before he was a world champion. And <laughs> uh, I'm not not sure that's going to get any easier, uh, especially he seems to be on holiday all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, Stephen Hendry got, got hold of him, but I think, Brussels always said Henry was his hero, so uh, uh, he's probably got a bit of an advantage on other people. But um, no, I mean, I take your point. We wanted to really make the most of it as a sport, um, but I'm sure we will. You know, we've got a season really to to do that. But um, yeah, I mean, he's a really interesting guy. So um, the, the more the merrier in terms of Luca Brussel content. Um, okay. But yeah, we'll see. I'm sure that you know there'll be plenty to come when he gets back playing. Yeah, Henry has advantages, doesn't he? I, 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 that's the point that I think probably needs to be made. He he is doing very well with his channel, but he, he is Stephen Hendry. It's not <laughs> it's not a standing start, is it? I've heard a few people talk as if it's some kind of, you know, <laughs> some young lad in a tooting bedsit setting up a channel and, you know, it's it's Stephen Hendry. It's not a standing <laughs> start. But of course it's it, it what he's doing is entertaining, Phil, let's say that. Yeah, no, it's really good. Yeah, it deserves deserves the praise. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, easier if you come in as Stephen Hendry, but yeah, no, it's really good. Um, I've, a few people I spoke to who uh, best casual watchers of snooker have watched some of those YouTube videos, and that's that's exactly what we want, isn't it? Um, to draw in people who wouldn't normally be following snooker content. So, uh, yeah, hats off to Stephen for that stuff. 
I salute you and say thank you for your company. Sir, I shall see you next time. You're always a delight to be with. And uh, cheerio. And to you, sir. And uh, yeah, nearly time to turn on for Aaron Hill, Jimmy White. So I'll head off to the bed for a bit before that. OK, thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Keep your thoughts coming. Talking snooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at Talking Snooker. For now, from Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network.